test. Hello, hello, hello. Hey there, if you can, if you can hear me, I'm going to go ahead and invite you uh, to grab a seat. If you'd like to grab a seat. Hey, Alex. Uh, I'm going to try to yell just until we get turned up a second, but I'll go ahead and invite you to grab a seat real quick um, as we continue in our worship this morning. In uh, just kind of a one-off, as Charlie mentioned, next week we'll start a series looking more at the uniquely, you know, calling maybe us as a church here in this neighborhood and walking through some of that vision and value as a church. Uh, but let me just say, it is really wonderful to get to gather on New Year's Day um, with the people of God to, to worship, to be present to him, to start the new year in this way. And in some ways, uh, that kind of tailored the way I wanted to think about our time together this morning in the scriptures. So I'll, I'll lead us into, if you have your Bible this morning, you can turn it to Ephesians. That's where we'll be. Um, but first, just kind of an, as an entry into that a little bit, I, I have a couple slides here. I, I like... Memes are pretty funny. Uh, these are a couple of ones from New Year's. You can't see great, clearly not great quality, but uh, these are a couple that I found. And I don't know if you were like me last night, but this is kind of sad. I get to say things like this because I am in my 30s now, so I'm old. I'm getting old. Uh, but I was definitely in bed before 9 p.m., um, which is kind of sad. And then these last two, if you go to these last two, Sam, uh, kind of speak to this mentality of, you know, uh, here's me listening to everyone's New Year's resolutions, knowing that those won't last, or it's almost time to repeat the whole New Year, New Me thing. And, you know, it's funny thinking through some of those uh, New Year memes, and in some ways that's grounded in, in reality that most of us recognize, that some of you may not be goal setters, some of you may not be kind of New Year resolution type people, but there is this sense that, I, I think I read something that like a, at least a quarter of New Year's resolutions are done by the first week. Um, that, that, you know, we laugh, but knowing ourselves as well, it's hard to follow through on some of the things that we want to follow through on. That in some ways, we've recognized uh, personally, spiritually, some of the ways I know that God or know that I want to be a person like this, and I need to take steps towards that. And so it is good to have resolutions, but, man, it's hard to follow through and hard to experience um, what it is that we're longing for as we make these resolutions. And so as, as I thought about our time this morning, I've been in the book of Ephesians, and really most of Paul's letters in general, he is writing to exhort a local body, local churches. Essentially, he's exhorting them to be fruitful. It's a call that we get from the, the very beginning of Scripture in Genesis 1, actually, to be fruitful and multiply that you see in, in the day of Scripture, a little bit unlike ours, it was a very heavy farming culture that people tended and understood what we see a lot throughout the Scriptures of this idea of being people that bear fruit. And all that goes into that, the patience, the sowing, the reaping, all of it, but that bearing fruit is just something that I have wanted to sit with together this morning as we start our year together. And, and it's interesting, too, because even in this last week, I've experienced uh, just, in some ways, the bipolarness of our weather here in Texas or in North Texas and Dallas. That I can't remember exactly what day it was, but I woke up one morning and it was 18 degrees outside. And by the end of that afternoon, it was like in the 70s. And it was like a, a shocking day, uh, just the, the change in such a short amount of time. 
And in some ways, I, I think about a room full of people here that we, we do enter into New Year's. We enter into this day in very different places. That some of you, kind of taking that weather metaphor, some of you might feel excited and alive uh, to God, to the Spirit, that there are some things you've been doing and you're excited to get into and grow into, and uh, you just feel like that 70-degree warm day in December. And, and some of you much more can relate to that sense of like, man, I feel a little bit more cold. I feel a little bit more numb. I feel a little bit more lethargic and just, I'm not, I haven't even thought about goals, let alone reviewed my last year, but I just, it feels hard to get up and go in the, in the, in the way that I know I'm supposed to be going in. And so although we enter in different places, the call this morning, if you are in Christ, is to be somebody that is fruitful. And I want to just look at that a little bit. I want, to, I want us to ask the question this morning, of how can we be fruitful? How can we be people that bear fruit? Because ultimately, I think we would all recognize nobody wants to be somebody that isn't uh, fruitful. Whether it's in our job, our family, our home life, our spiritual life, we want to be people that are bearing fruit. And so that's what I just want to walk through this morning in three ways. And, and you'll see this here, but I, I want to look at it in three junctures through the book of Ephesians. So one is that it begins in Christ. It leads to being in community. And then finally, it, it is displayed. It is on display. And we're just going to walk through that through Paul's words in Ephesians, starting in verse uh, 1 of chapter 2. If you have your scripture, I want to read that for us this morning. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, reading from the ESV, says this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him, whoops, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. And hear this last verse. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And you even just hear it at the end of that kind of gospel proclamation. The end result is that we are to be people that bear fruit, that we step into good works. And it's interesting, if you were with us at all in the fall as we walk through our Roman series, Paul uses some different language about the gospel, and I'm just going to get this out of the way so I don't keep kicking it. Uh, he uses different language in talking about being right before God. It's more forensic language, legal language, being justified, made right with God. But in Ephesians, in that little part we read, he's, he's using more of marketplace language. This idea of being redeemed, being bought out of slavery. It's, it's the sense that we are enshackled to our sin, that all are born dead to God. We do not have a pulse for the things of God. 
as you read just Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, as he, as he talks about the way of living for a Christian, that upside world living, right, that the last will be first. That if you want to actually have a, a life full of meaning and purpose, being fruitful, it, it, it means that you actually die to yourself. That if you want to be somebody that is actually rich, you, you become poor. That there, there are all these things that naturally to a heart that is not attuned to God, that it's contrary to the way that we live and do our life. That it's this sense that we are enshackled to our sin. It's not just that we are in judgment before a holy God. It's that we can't help ourselves. And what's beautiful about this passage is he, he moves through the gospel that but God in verse 4 being rich in mercy, that he has moved and acted. And in some ways, as we come out of the Christmas season, uh, it's beautiful to reflect on the fact that Jesus came and took on flesh. That God would humble himself, that he would identify with us. But the birth of Jesus does not really mean anything for us if the cross doesn't come. It can't do something for us that we need to be done. We don't become alive just because we think about, oh, Jesus took on flesh. How sweet. That we, if we are really dead, we need life pumped into us. And you see, it's why Jesus, in the very beginning of John, he says, from the very beginning of his ministry and his life, he said, my hour has not yet come. In his hour, he talks about his hour a lot in John, and that hour was the cross. That he came to bear the sin and punishment of the world to redeem us out of slavery so that we can be people who are fruitful as we are reconciled to God. And so there's a part we skipped over here in Ephesians 1. If you just know this book at all, I love it. In Ephesians 1 verses 3 and 4, it says this as he starts his letter. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And if you're like me, that's one of those scriptures that you read and you're like, man, that sounds wonderful. But in reality, what does that mean? Like that is a bold statement to say that if you are in Christ, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Not some, not one day that you have access to all that you need to be somebody that is fruitful. That he has begun a work in you, that you are a new creation. You know, these themes that we hear often, but yet we get dulled to because when push comes to shove, we experience the difficulty of actually changing. I, I don't know if you're like me, that at times you, you read and you're encouraged and you're moved, but you ultimately feel like, I'm not sure if I can change in this way. I'm not sure if this can be done. And so as we start this morning, I I want us to start where Paul starts, where we always stay, which is in Christ, in the gospel. There is this uniting that happens. That if you are in Christ, you are fully alive. You are connected to the source of life. You are able to be somebody that produces fruit, no matter where you find yourself this morning. And so the the first thing I just want to talk about and grounded in that is as we just think about offering some ways maybe in which you might be able to embrace that idea of bearing fruit this year. I've just thought through a lot of different areas. Again, I don't know if you've created space. I'm looking at the monks. We hung out with them yesterday, and they mentioned this was awesome. They both gave each other a little bit of time to get out of the house, away from the kids, and to, like, just orient themselves to what is going on in my life, in my head, in my heart, thinking about, you know, maybe the year behind and the year ahead, setting goals. 
Like maybe you have gotten some space to do that. Maybe you haven't. But I do want to encourage you to think about what it is that you might be able to do to walk into that reality of being alive in Christ more this year. And so I just, I, I've jotted down some many, some, a few as I thought about it. And the, the first thing I mentioned is maybe in January, there's so many different kind of trends that go around. But I think it's good for me, at least I've learned, I, I got to start in chunks. I'm going to go month by month. I can't look at the whole 12 months because when you fall behind, it feels like you've lost already. But some people, you know, they'll, do, they'll give up things in January. Alcohol, certain food, stepping into a new rhythm. But this idea of fasting is a biblical idea. And in some ways, I might wonder, is there something that you need to give up in January? Not to, to get healthier and to get happier, but to actually feel more of that dependence, that, that reality that you are in Christ connected to him. That it would press you into your need for him more. That as you give something up and you feel that hunger for it, or you feel that hard discipline being worked in you, that that does something to our prayer life because we recognize more than when we're walking through life doing whatever we want, we recognize how much we need him. Is there something you might fast from in January? Maybe it's joining us in our scripture reading plan. I mean, uh, I really would encourage you. Uh, we still have a few of these in the back the sound booth. We'll put them out, but would love it if you would join us in our scripture reading plan this year. To be somebody that just creates and starts that discipline of getting up and getting in the scripture and getting to do that communally. I'd also encourage you, maybe it's actually grabbing this and inviting somebody to do it with you. Some of us feel fearful to maybe step into somewhat of a discipleship role because it feels like there's this, you know, dynamic at work. But it's just maybe as simple as inviting someone, hey, would you read this and would you just meet with me once every other week or once a month and let's talk through what we're reading and what we're learning. Might that be it for you? Maybe it's committing to a local place to serve this year with family, with your friends. I saw this video of the Christmas break. It moved me, this family that just a long time ago in Chicago started gathering people into their home and creating these homeless bags, making food, and then they'd just go walk the city. It's grown over the years, but it was interesting seeing the pictures uh, of how it's grown and, and just the impact that it's made as they just said, hey, you know what, we're going to spend a day over the holidays and do this and get out. I wonder if it's for you maybe serving in some, some way. These last couple, and then we'll move on, but you know, for some of us, maybe it's investing more in our marriages. I know this is one for me as well, this sense of I know that there is work to be done to love my spouse well, that I need help to do that. I need people in my life to speak into that, that for some of us it might be that we need marriage counseling. I don't know what it is, but that investment, that move towards fruitfulness in an area of your life. And as we hand it out over Christmas Eve, maybe it's reading that book that we handed out uh, and the last thing I thought about, one area we don't like to talk about a whole lot, but maybe it is uh, with our finances. That, that in some ways, I was thinking about my own heart, that often I feel like I've, I've got to get to a certain place first to be generous. And God wants to flip that on his head. That he wants to show us that it really is where our heart is, there our treasure will be also. Is there a way in which we use our money this year to be good stewards of what God's given us? And so that's just a list. I, I, I mean, I don't know if you've thought about it. I would love for you to do so. But this idea of uh, we can't manufacture fruit in our life, but we do have, as, as Charlie read from that Peter passage, we have an effort to make that as we're in Christ, alive to him, connected to the source of life, that we have movement to make towards being fruitful people. But I want to move on past the, uh, the, the verses 1 through 10 there of chapter 2, and into the rest of chapter 2, if you look for me, we're in Christ, but as you're in Christ, 
and being rooted in the gospel, there's actually this connection, this fruitfulness as you are connected in community. If you look with me in verses 11, it says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those of you that were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. Now you may have been lost in a little bit of that scripture. You know, there's some cultural dynamics there as Paul is preaching and he feels this call of ministry to the Gentiles. Those that were not connected to the lineage and the heritage of the people of God in the Old Testament. And what he's saying now is that at the cross, the hostility between these groups has been crushed. What God is doing is not a new and a separate thing, that it is one thing. And so it's interesting that as God talks, as Paul talks about being reconciled to God, being in Christ, the very natural next movement is that the horizontal relationship change changes your, I mean, the, the vertical relationship change changes the horizontal. It changes the way that we relate to one another, to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we've talked about this often, but I think it's a good reminder as we think about being fruitful, so much of our fruitfulness thought can be, hey, here are some goals for myself, right? To clean up my life, to get healthier, to to do X, Y, and Z. But you see, God's fruitfulness is a communal one. This actually, in, in Ephesians, a better translation for every you that you read in the book of Ephesians is actually a word we're familiar with, y'all. In some ways, that's how you should be reading any of the yous. It's a second person plural. That we, we get so locked into our own individual life and our home, when in reality, it, this is a communal calling. And it's beautiful as you think about it in Paul's day, and in, in some ways, it's made me think for us this year as a church, that we no doubt have some uh, diversity of age in our, in our church. But in some ways, the gospel did something in the early days, bringing people that were separated and against one another into a community and begin to experience this reality of unity and oneness. And in some ways, I wonder what that might look like for us as a church that we might be able to press in and maybe even reflect more of the diversity as a reality here in Lake Highlands. that's That's a real tension that is still felt today, that there is this sense of the gospel's on display when you look across a room and you truly do see people of different ages and ethnicities and hobbies and interests together at one pursuing the same thing, the commonality in Christ. And 
I go back to just a little image in my head of actually my community group I was in last year. I've told Claire this often, but there was this moment as I looked at a table of people eating food. And I was like, man, this group makes no sense. This wouldn't happen any other way if it wasn't for God. That in some ways, our community has to look that way. It should make some people scratch their heads. That if ultimately a a church community is kind of worshiping Christ together, and then we kind of just fit in all the other ways of our hobbies and interests and socioeconomic places, that in some ways it's not as much of a witness as I think God intends his church to be. Because what Paul is doing often here is he's reminding us of a heaven reality. That God is at work making one body, one building. That in one day we will gather and we will worship with people of all different nations, ethnicities, cultures, tongues, everything. And the hope for us is that we begin to taste and experience some of that now as a people. And so you saw some of the language in here. You know, he's talking about members of the household of God joined together, one new man in place of the two. And the hope there is that that would be lived into as we are dwelling and abiding in Christ. I'll read this quote and then continue to move, move on, just talking about what it is, what is the purpose of our communal gathering together as a church. This quote says, The thought of a church as the body of Christ, if you can squint and read that, the thought of a church as the body of Christ emphasizes the importance and dignity of every local church. It also lays upon each church a tremendous responsibility. First, we have the responsibility of actually letting Christ live and express himself in the life of the church. The church does not exist to serve Christ, but to embody him. And think about that a little bit. That should maybe mess with some of us, because the way we think about what is the church, the church is not primarily what we're doing right now. The church is is meant to be the hands and feet, to embody Christ goes on to say, this is why Paul is so insistent on the unity of the church fellowship. A church that is split by factions and torn by the insistence of individuals on having their own way cannot embody Christ. When the church meets, it should be so bathed in the spirit of God that the presence of Christ is apparent to all who are attending the meeting. And I I think there's a lot there that we could unpack, but essentially I think what I just want to remind some of us in, in this idea of, of being invested and involved in community that I think some of us in being fruitful this year have some steps to take in doing that. And, and it starts simply. I wonder if for some of us we just might be able to open up our homes a little bit more often to people. To invite people to, to come to our dinner table. That we would bring people in from the church. That we would begin to become this more connected, united group of people with this common bond in Christ. And the other thing I just want to say that as a church plant, I don't know when we'll start using the language of Uh, not new church or whatever. I don't know when that that happens, but there's this funny dichotomy that as you start something, in in some ways, all is pretty good. There there can't really be much complaints. It's it's new. You know, you've walked into something that's flexible. We're kind of getting to know one another, and then as time goes on, the reality is of any relationship that there's ways in which we'll bump up against one another, that there are preferences and tendencies and personalities, and in some ways, I, I just want to encourage you that if you experience those things, don't run from that. That in some ways, that, that's actually a beautiful opportunity to bear fruit. That God doesn't ask us to be unilaterally on the same page with all of our preferences and tendencies. He asks us, though, to be rooted and at core and united to one another in love 
as we are sitting in Christ together. That there's this opportunity in our differences to actually display more of what it means to be a fruitful follower of Jesus. And we'll move to this last part. If you want to turn to chapter 3, verses 7 through 10, this will be where we close. In Christ, in community. And the last point is that our fruitfulness does need to be on display. Verse 7 of 3 says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan, the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And again, a lot there, heavenly realities. Again, this, this, as we think about Christ coming and his death and his resurrection, that you've heard some of the language before maybe of already, not yet, that God has come and his kingdom has crashed into this world, but it's not fully consummated until Christ returns. But Paul often will take us back to the heavenly places, right? We read earlier that if you're in Christ, you're seated with him in the heavenly places already. And in some ways, as we live into those realities, as we know our scriptures, as we pray and experience that, that shapes our present in this in-between age. And so there's some of that language here in this, but what he ultimately says is that the church has been created to display the manifold wisdom of God, which just means multifaceted, that God is wise and he has so many elements to his wisdom, but we are to be on display of that wisdom. And as we just mentioned, that comes in our communal life together. But I think the, the reminder to be people that, that want to show and display God's wisdom in our life together. There's this popular Netflix show, I, I've mentioned it maybe one other time, Claire likes it because she's very organized. Um, and she married someone that is working on his organization. Uh, and there's a show, what's it called? It's not on here. The Home Edit. If you've ever seen this, it's these women who are like incredibly gifted at organizing. They'll walk into a house that is just like a complete mess, way over hoarded, and it's wild to see what they do kind of in the before and after and the way in which they organize things. But this on display part got me thinking, could you imagine for a moment that we actually got to go toward these two women's house? And you see the beautiful work they do in the other people's homes, but then as you actually get to walk through their house, you realize it is a living disaster. Like, I've played this out in my head. It's kind of strange. I guess when you're looking for analogies, you do this sometimes. But I was like, you walk in, just imagine that this home is just chaos, messy, things not in the right place. It doesn't change the work that they've done in other people's homes. But I think if my home was being organized by these women and I got to step into the reality of their home and see, like, oh, you guys don't live this. I think in some ways it would make me feel like I've got no hope. <laughs> that if you guys can't do this, then this is, looks good for now, but I know this is where I'm heading. And just playing out that analogy in our head, you can, you can think about different areas. The same goes maybe sometimes if I'm uh, thinking about Walker. If, you, if you're in sports and you've got a coach, that some ways the way a coach is validated, you want to know what their resume is. You want to know, hey, have you achieved this at the highest level before I listen to you, right? You can play this out in so many different ways. But this idea of being on display is this reality that, that we are people that don't just intellectually know the things of the gospel, Right, that we've built this big brain, but that we've built this big heart that is truly connected and alive to Christ, and our fruit is being displayed in 
and around us. Because if you just take the analogy of fruit even further, and I think this is where, where the scripture points to this so often, you think about what is the, the purpose of something that is planted and bearing fruit. That it, it is something that is of benefit to those that is in that area that pick the fruit, right? That somebody that is fruitful is not for themselves necessarily, but it's to give, it's to bless. And in some ways, as I, as I think about this calling to bear fruit in Christ, in community, and being on display, that I, I see this greater vision of all these people, all of us in this room, all of us that make up this community, that if we were to bear fruit in our homes and in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces, that we're ultimately being a blessing to those around us, that God is using us so that people might get a taste of his wisdom, of his glory, of his goodness, that ultimately to bear fruit and to be on display is for God's glory. Some of you know who Hudson Taylor is, the founder of China Inland Mission. Um, I'll, I'll finish here with this quote. He was the founder of China Inland Mission, and under God was responsible in the mid-19th century for leading hundreds of missionaries into China's interior for the first time. And in 1869, when he was 37 years old, he came and he began to enter into a new phase of his life and ministry that he felt like he, he truly grasped what we read about in John 15, this abiding in Christ. He began to drink more deeply at the experiential fountain of John 15, and he was given a deeper and more constant, more satisfying experience of abiding in Christ. And his son, Frederick Howard Taylor, wrote this in 1932. He said, Here was a man almost 60 years of age, bearing tremendous burdens, yet absolutely calm and untroubled. Oh, the pile of letters any one of which might contain news of death, of lack of funds, of riots or serious trouble, yet all were opened, read, and answered with the same tranquility. Christ, his reason for peace, his power for calm, dwelling in Christ, he drew upon his very being and resources. And this he did by an attitude of faith as simple as it was continuous. Yet he was delightfully free and natural. I can find no words to describe it, save the scripture's expression, in God. He was in God all the time, and God in him. It was that true abiding of John 15. And ultimately, that's my hope. That's my hope for our family. That's my hope for this church, that as we've walked through the Christmas story, right? Emmanuel, God with us. That God has come not to to touch base and say, hey, remember me, and, and move on. He, he's come to dwell with you. He's come so that you might have life and life to the fullest, and it is found as we are rooted and abiding in Christ. And so as we just exit and as we, as we enter into this new year, I hope in many ways you would feel hopeful that ultimately the gospel teaches us that there is grace and love and forgiveness. We are not searching for perfection, but we are trying to be people that move towards fruitfulness this year so that as we do that, our community is blessed and that we get to be a witness on display to those around us of God's glory and of his wisdom. There is no greater calling for us this year ahead. And this scripture of Ephesians that ends chapter 3 is a perfect way to end our time this morning as I'll pray. Paul says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Father, we come to you this morning.
wanting, wanting to believe that more. Wanting to believe that there is a power. The power that rose Jesus from the, the grave. The same spirit that rose Jesus, God. This source, this connection to you is available to those in Christ. That we have the privilege and the opportunity as your sons and daughters to be in and connected and, and just resourceful. And Father, I pray that this would be a year of fruitfulness for us as a church, for us as our individual family units, in our workplaces, in all the ways in which, God, you are drawing us to bear fruit. And in the midst of that, I just pray we remember, too, that there's a pruning process in bearing fruit. That for some of us, as we've confessed this morning, and maybe we need to further confess that there are some ways in which we are keeping ourselves disconnected from you, though you are not from us. As we think about the song we even sung earlier, God, 10,000 Reasons, that on that day when my strength is failing and the end draws near, we will still sing, not because we will will ourselves or be strong enough, but because you have taken hold of us. I pray that we would just be reminded and flooded with gratitude for the gospel, God, that we are in Christ because of your work and your work alone. And so would that move us, would that motivate us to be a people that are incredibly fruitful? And as we come to the table this morning, may we be visually and spiritually reminded of that truth. That on the night that our Lord